0: steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits. At the big ball, these Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Under Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game-winner. Wide left. Bucs win. Bucs win. for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jones, the the game-winner on they got team, him, he if he catches it, it's over, Bowl game! Touchdown, Jawan Stinson! 25 yards, J.J. German for the win! He got it! J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs! And the sidekick.
1: Shout out to my friend! What's your name, man? I told you! It doesn't him. matter what your name is! You're handsome, you have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent.
2: It's Sandoz in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network.
0: Oh, good Wednesday, and what a Tuesday it was for ETSU Athletics. Head coach Brittany Zell. Moments away, it felt like, from pulling off the win against the Tennessee Lady Vols in an epic game by one... Erica Haynes Overton. Jay Sanders, Mike Gallagher, he had the call last night. He had a better seat than I did. I'll a pretty good seat as well. My goodness, what an overall game. I don't know, uh, and I've really tried, I haven't statistically gone back and looked yet, but I would like to know was there a better primetime player that stepped up in a primetime game with overall statistics the way that Erica Haynes Overton did?
2: I think you can just look overall at ETSC Women's Basketball's history and say this is the best overall performance in the history of the program. Uh, you've only had one other person outscore her 41 points last night. Marsha Coward, in I believe it was 1987, had she could 52. She score Yep, and she's the career record holder in scoring for the Bucs, just over 2,200 points. Erica Haynes-Overton last night moves within four points of a 1,000. I went into the game thinking, of course, okay, 45 points away. From thousand, You know, probably get in game two, more likely three, right? Because in the first two, you'd have to average 22.5 per game in order to get to 1,000 in two games. And then I'm seeing the point total get closer and closer and closer to 30, and then 35, and then 40, and then you get to 41. And I thought that for a moment there was going to be a chance to send this game to overtime. Unfortunately... What ended up being a smart play from Renaya Davis. It was a three-point game. Erica Haynes-Overton streaking up the near side of the court. Davis fouls her right inside of half court. Sent her to the line for two. Uh, Erica Haynes-Overton, historically a pretty decent free throw shooter. 75% last year. I think she's um, 77% for her career. And sent to the line for two, makes one or two. And then ETSU on the other end has to foul. There was about, uh, I think, a four-second differential between the and they had a foul shot to give and too, game right? clock. Yeah, and they had a foul to give. And so I'm kind of going out of order here because it was a uh, four-point game, then two-point game. Anyway, point being, the Bucks never had a chance to tie the game. They never had the shot to be able to tie the game. And Erica Haynes-Overton ends with 41, 10 rebounds, and seven steals. So she's always a threat to go triple-double on you at any time. Had a double-double last night, but three steals away from a triple-double. Now has 212 career steals. And that leaves her just 52 steals short of breaking the ETSU career record. And we're in game one of her junior year. I have never seen someone leave it all out on the floor like that. And Coach post Postgame, we're going to hear from her in segment number two. And then we're going to talk to Daniel Hooker from Western Carolina about ETSU football. And then finally, bold predictions. A belated bold predictions as my bold prediction from last night, is now complete. And I'm not going to get into it now because I have plenty of joy to share for that. But anyway, 41-10-7, <laughs> and seven. she threw up right next to me in the third quarter. She was sitting on the end of the bench, and she's drinking some water, and then she kind of like spits a little bit up and then goes behind the bench and throws up into a towel in the third quarter. That was the third quarter. So she still went out and played 15 more minutes. You can see it kind of reminded me of, and this is going to sound ridiculous to people that weren't there and didn't see it, but the way that she had to be helped off the court going into timeouts kind of reminded me of the Michael Jordan flu game. If you remember that from when oh, he I scored. I'm not sure certainly how many he did. scored that day. But had the flu. Scottie Pippen had to carry him off the court at times. Yes, the jazz. Yeah, it, yeah, back in the, the heyday of Jordan. It kind of reminded me of that from Erica Haynes-Overton. She, I think with three minutes left, just inside three minutes left, got a steal. Went down the other way. It was a 10-point game. And you could see when she got the steal, she completely ran out of steam. I don't know if she cramped up or if she just literally couldn't run anymore. But she usually streaks in, strong finish at the rack. She was only able to run like neck and neck with the Tennessee defender, goes up and kind of has her shot partially deflected, at least bothered, didn't make it, and Brittany Zell had to take her out of the game at that point. Then she comes back in 20 seconds later. And then later in the game, like with under two minutes left, Brittany's all calls a timeout for her to be able to come off the floor and then go back See, in. See, I thought that was interesting throws. because oh, wow.
0: there were people beside me. At that time, I got back in the stand so I could become full fan, right? I'm going to be a fan a lot. So I was in there with being a fan, and when they called the timeout, Right before she shot the two free throws, I had people going, oh, why are they icing her? Why are they doing that? And I was like, they literally are dragging her over to the bench. Right. Like, she needs that breather. So I thought it was a brilliant t- timeout. And, of course, when they missed a second free throw, people go, oh, that wasn't it. No. She needed time to regroup because you needed to give that extra. And it was a full timeout. She would not have been able to Can't, lift her I, arms to shoot the free throws? I agree. I thought it was a brilliant call. And I thought it was knowing your team, knowing your players, trying to do the right thing. So that, that particular play I thought was great. The other weird thing about that, and, and, and it's all in the same play, it was that Davis foul near midcourt. Yep. People couldn't hear the whistle where I was at. Makes the three. And people oh. are going bonkers. But at the time, there was a foul. Some Tennessee defenders had already started walking away. So, so there was a lot of things happening. But when there was a foul, uh, there was a whistle, and it was like three dribbles, then the shot, clearly after the foul. And then people were like, "Oh, there's a foul. There's a four-point play." So then I'm right. trying to correct people in the stands. Which is why I don't sit now. in the stands a lot, Right. you know, because I'm sitting there like, "No, the foul happened there. Well, Why they blow the whistle? Why are they not? that? Why we call time? So it was fast and furious, but people were really super engaged and and into that. As you would imagine, I might have gotten a few uh, arguments with some Tennessee fans that were there. <laughs> that we're not wearing the the blue and gold. That were yelling some crazy stuff. So uh, it was it was it was a great atmosphere every time that and there's been well known there's a couple of tennessee fans that go there and we'll start the the lady vault but one of your oh, lady a couple vault. times and yeah, as exactly. soon as it started to get going the buck fans kind of answered you know it wasn't it wasn't a few years ago it kind of felt like in tennessee was up pretty big at that time so they they kind of just wilted and that chant took over the building it never really took over the building which is what i was proud of is the buck fans were, were there and i know there were a lot of people that pulled for both and and, and some struggled with it. And for a lot of people, I think they were wearing their blue and gold yesterday. Maybe they go back. But there were some, some only people that showed up because they were Lady Vol fans. And I hope they left uh, respecting the program as they should. And if nothing else, respecting the best player on the floor. And and, and and maybe – Of the whole college basketball opening night
2: Absolutely I mean 41-10-7 Is a stat line that will go Unmatched for if not the first Couple of nights of college basketball first month It may go unmatched the entire year I mean to be defense to offense the way Erica Haynes-Overton was and to quite honestly Completely outplay Raniah Davis I was not Impressed with Renia Davis I know she's got a Long body of impressive performances in her history, and I know she's preseason All SEC. And I know that she can kind of do it all, and the list goes on and on. I thought she was so, pretty it, invisible. Last it, night. it was
0: a little too cool for school for me. Mm, you know, there, there was a lot of a lot of kind of shaking things off, not really, just and, and there's a lot of things. You know, a you know that was not Kelly Harper's recruit, right? Uh, and so. There's a lot of things. You're trying to install new stuff. You've got a very young squad for Tennessee in general. All the accolades, I'm sure, playing ETSU in her mind's a, and Hermans at a different level. And Kelly
2: Harper told me last night, having this team has been like having 12 freshmen because she's trying to do a lot of different things and instill her system and get the tough grit, you know, love to work hard type thing. And that is not for everybody. Um, I'm not saying anyone in particular it's not for, but she said 12 freshmen. And that's got to be tough, going into an atmosphere like that.
0: Uh, yeah, and, and, and you're just trying to get everything going. Most people want to open up if you have a situation at home, right? This game was scheduled a long time ago. It was already inked the date and everything well before Holly Warwick was let go, so there was no way getting out of it. And I'm sure if Kelly Arbor's like, I don't mind, and I think she had said it to Coach Dill, she didn't mind. She loved going there. Um, because they are friends, she would go do it again. I think it was more of my first game, doing all this. I would like to have one in a friendly, you know, home environment and then and then maybe do something like that. So there was a lot of things going on that, that I thought was good. The other thing I thought was interesting, and I've done a lot of games or, or have watched a lot of games, ETSU and mid-majors in general, when you play a storied program, like when ETSU goes play, for a great example, Kentucky. We've played Kentucky in basketball several times in Rupp Arena, NCAA tournament. Go look at the foul differences go look at when those fouls are called in the game. None of those whistles go your way. That was by far the, and I'm not saying one way or another, you know, somebody's cheating or anything like that. It just, it happens. Like when ETSU plays Newberry in basketball, when we taped this on Wednesday, it's Wednesday night, ETSU will get the benefit of the calls, period. They they get them against Limestone. They'll get them against Milligan. They do that when ETSU goes plays at Kansas. Kansas is going to get more of the calls. And you you just know it going in. Last night was one of the few times I felt like you got a fairly clean game and maybe even one or two whistles that, that got caught up, in, which happens sometimes, gets caught up in the emotion of the game and the crowd and went ETSU's way. And that shows you've got, A, a good home environment. The other thing, it's respecting that, that, that a team is playing its guts out, right? And sometimes you see it where if team's playing hard, than other ones, they get some calls too. But you very rarely see, and, and rather – around here we still think tennessee is is the cream of the crop of women's basketball and always will be but even if you said okay they're number two to connecticut they're still the top two story program in all of women's college basketball and the bucks got a pretty clean whistle game and i'm amazed by that because you generally don't do that you usually leave those games with head scratching calls like golly what was that but it didn't happen, and it was tremendous, and I thought that added to the thing. It was the one time I thought, man, this was a clean-called game. It gave, you know, ETSU a great shot in a game in which traditionally we don't we don't get those calls. You know, you don't get those whistles. You don't get a 50-50 call, or even worse, you know, you, you would even take a 60-40. If you ask Steve Forbes right now, you know, if he goes to Kansas and gets a 60-40 Kansas-favored whistle, he'll take it right now. No no questions asked. So I thought that was interesting, too, that ETSU. And, and again, I think but some of it was because they were the aggressor. I think because you get the home crowd was into it and momentum and all that that works into it. And, I don't, again, I'm not saying the referees cheat. I'm not doing any of that. But I am just think you live under a rock if you don't understand that it's hard for mid-major teams to get calls and whistles when they play the bigger school, just like it's unfair when, when Milligan and, and, and Tusculum and Carson Newman come play ETSU. They don't get the calls either. It just happens. It's just the way it is. You mentioned 10 healthy bodies, or
2: you mentioned the playing your guts out, 10 healthy bodies last night for ETSU. And this game was going almost exactly how the game last year went up until about the five-minute mark in the third quarter. ETSU last year was down 10 at the five-minute mark, and then Tennessee created some distance, won in a run, ended up winning by 19. This year it was a 10-point game, and the Bucs just did not go away. Heck, it was a 10-point game at the five-minute mark in the third quarter, also a 10-point game with – Three minutes to go in the fourth quarter, but Sheets and Shania Jackson, Kaya Upton, Eric Haynes, Overton, Elise Stafford, Ariel Harvey, Tiana Kimbrough, Gabby Brown, Amaya Adams, Sierra Purdue. You're without Jada Craig, you're without Anajay Stephanie, Tasia Murphy, Jasmine Sanders, and Makaya Dowdell. And Dowdell's one that the Bucks are hoping to get back. Yeah, may or may not. That's really the only player. Of those five With the exception of Craig Craig's kind of in between right now Coming back from a quad tendon tear So that's going to be interesting to see how she progresses But the other three aside from Craig and Dowdell Are likely out for a very long period of time Sanders we know isn't going to play this year Because she didn't get a waiver to play this year from Troy She's going to have to sit out this year by NCAA transfer rules But Makaya Dowdell we're going to know by November 13th So it's a week away If you have her last night And she is a strong imposing force kind of in that high post area, can go down low, um, and I think would have flat-out bullied some people last night. Granted, she'd be giving away some inches, but she is like a linebacker out there, and that's what they describe her as inside ETSC women's basketball. But so it was going one way, and then you thought that it may have the potential last night's game to go the same way as it did last year, and then the Bucs just didn't give up, even though they only had 10 people. And the last three minutes... Even going into that, when you saw Erica Haynes-Overton go the other way off the steal, not be able to finish, 10-point game, you're like, oh, man, well, this is a fantastic effort. You feel good coming away from it if you're an ETSU fan that you stuck right with Tennessee, the winningest program in college basketball on the men's or women's side with an 804 winning percentage. But then the hits just kept on coming. Elise Stafford makes a couple free throws. And then Haynes-Overton, and then Elise Stafford again. It was an 8 nothing run. And finally able to put it away Tennessee with some free throws late and as we mentioned ETSU never had the chance to tie the game on a one possession trip down the court. You know, it was a two point game when Haynes Overton or a three point game when Haynes Overton was fouled, she made it a two point game. Bucks had a chance, even with under twenty seconds to go, to get a free throw miss, that second free throw. And an offensive rebound for UT, which was, if you're looking <laughs> unbiasedly and impartially, the story of the night: 62 rebounds to 41 that, in favor of Tennessee.
0: That that was the one. The one baffling number was when actually Kevin Brown, when we were kind of walking and talking after the game, just me and him, and he was like, "Have you seen the rebound numbers?" I'm like, "Well, no, because I, I didn't see any stat sheet." Any. And when he showed the 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 total rebounds that there's 103. Yeah, that, that's incredible to begin with. And then the 62 and then 25 offensive. You're just yeah. kind of like, oof, that's a that's that's tough to overcome. But again, they had one Tennessee only had one lady that was five eight. The rest were six or higher. Yep. The six fivers, I think, were shorted. I mean, my goodness, <laughs> I swear one was six seven. That's all I'm throwing. I mean, I, a I few would, people said that post game. Just lady, just I mean, I felt that way. Maybe she played six seven instead of six five. But it was it was incredible to see the disparity there and, and to see you know even um, Stafford and and Overton and some of those people going in there and, and snaring rebounds. I thought um, Tennessee only had, to my recollection, that one solid run in the first, maybe start of the second quarter, thirteen nothing. Yeah, and that was it, right? I, I just want to make sure. Like, I mean, five nothing, six nothing—that happens all over the place, right? But there was one sustain. It went from like ten six or something like that you know, to 1910 or 1710, and I thought that was it. I thought ETSU did a great job, but when that happened, you can let that sort of trickle and keep going and get out of control, or you can shut it down. I thought ETSU did a good job of not letting the one run or just limited it really to the one run that Tennessee had all game.
2: Finally, Ray Burrell able to ice it with 10 seconds left, that one of two that she made, 72-68, to 68, Eric overton missing a three at the buzzer, but it was of no consequence at that point, just not enough time to come back. And we're going to hear from head coach Brittany Azell after the break about what she thinks this is. Can't wait. Means for ETSU and women's basketball in this region because that was a big night to have six thousand people watching those two teams play a contest inside Freedom Hall and there's going to be implications
0: of it for years to come. I totally agree. I can't wait to hear. Let's hear from head coach Brittany Zell on last night's game after this time out. We're from Sidekick. How's the market air? Sports Network.
1: Over the last seventy years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our
0: vision. To deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. New name. Renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanderson, the sidekick, back with you as we recap the game. Brittany Zell, fired up, I'd say.
3: No, I have not. Erica, let's put it this way, Mike. If she's not the SOCON player of the year, show her to me. you got to be kidding me right now. That kid can do some things that I can't coach. And we are just really fortunate that she chose us. And the best part about Erica is she is a remarkable teammate. If you watch her teammates, they love her. Good or bad, they love her, and that's all that matters to me.
2: That was in response to my question. Have you ever seen a performance like that from anyone you've coached? And keep in mind, Coach Zell's been doing it a long time.
0: Oh, uh, first of all, I thought it was no when I said, uh, "Was she fired up. I, I thought you'd set me up there. I didn't know what was going oh, on. Oh, I did set you up. Oh, okay. I, no, was... no, and uh, we've talked about it. Maybe not at nauseum, but we probably should. We've all disagreed with her not getting that type of accolade. And, oh, I like think said, i talked
2: about it at nauseum. I've been pretty fired up over the uh, first few shows we've done on basketball. That Chloe Wanink
0: is a great scorer. Well, even last year she wasn't. I mean, yeah. you, you could go back to the first year of the podcast and, and carry to this year. It just, you cannot, sometimes it's scoring only. But even so, I always go with if you took the player off, right? That That's, and I know because there's more involved than that, right? It's one thing to say Fletcher McGee scores. But it's another thing to say, okay, Fletcher McGee, if you take him off the floor, what else do you lose besides the scoring? Do you well, if, if Eric Haynes Overton isn't on the floor right now, where is the women's basketball team the last couple of years? I mean, it's not even close. There's not one person I think that means more to her team and does more for her team than her. But maybe we'll do a whole show on that.
2: You look at Haynes Overton, fifteen for thirty one from the floor, eight of twelve from the line, three of seven from three, which if she can hit forty two percent from outside the entire year, she's gonna drop forty in a lot of games. Because that's been the one area of her offensive game that she's struggled with. I know she's been working on it. Um, if she can consistently come up with efforts like that from outside, that just adds to what she already does. Outside of her, Elise Stafford is 4 for 8 from the floor. Had her ups and downs. Free throw shooting 4 of 7. She actually shoots kind of offset from the hoop. She shoots over towards the right elbow when she takes free throws because she was having some trouble last year where she felt like she was missing a lot to the left of the hoop so she's trying I think more from the mental side of things to change that up and whatever helps right but did miss three free throws but 13 points and six rebounds the lone other buck in double figures would have been great if Micah Sheets could have had even a shell of what we're used to from her but she went two of 13 from the floor one of six from outside seven points five rebounds I think even in shoot-around, you were there with me at, from 2 to 3. You could see that she was struggling with the shot when they were running some set plays. Started to hit a couple towards the end of practice, and you're like, okay, maybe that's some good momentum building towards the game, but she just didn't have it. After setting her career high or matching her career high five different times setting her matching last year in conference play alone, came out slow on night one.
0: It's a bad matchup. And, and my, my mother-in-law, and I've got to sit next to that's her favorite player. Um, but so, I mean everybody loves Overton, let me say that. Haynes Overton is everybody's favorite player. After that, she's like, I really and she had mentioned, you know, late in the year was really because that she had come along, she made all those shots. Yeah. And I just said, you know, and we did watch her struggle, I mean you talked about it. I said, but in that particular game for her style of game right. and what needs to happen against six three, six two, six four long It's tough, and you saw a couple times having to work really hard, moving right, left, doing other things just to get a shot off. This was just a particular bad matchup. I think she'll be fine. I think she's going to have a great year. I just think in that particular game, it doesn't suit what she wants to do style-wise. And there's other power five teams when they play Wake Forest that may suit her style just against Tennessee looking early. And even like before she even took a shot, I said this is going to be a tough matchup for her to score in. Just after looking at the size and length and everything going on in shoot around, curious to see how she goes rest year against maybe other power fives. But in the league against other um, mid major programs, I don't think she'll have an issue at all
2: this year. Smaller programs in terms of height. Tennessee's team averages 6'2. That's the tallest in Tennessee history. May very well be in the country the tallest team in women's basketball. And if it's the tallest team at Division One, it's probably the tallest team at any collegiate level you'd imagine. So that is certainly an outlier, an extreme that Micah Sheets had to face last night, which led to, I think, the 2-for-13. Here's, here's what I was impressed with, and we were talking about it, I think, pregame and in the lead-up to this game, what needed to happen for ETSU to be competitive and even possibly pull off an upset. And what it came down to game plan-wise, I think, at a number of different points, and talking off-air with some people about this, why not just have Erica Haynes Overton clear out and do some ISOs and do the whole 94 feet of the court defense to offense thing. Clearly it took its toll on her body and she was throwing up for some of the game in the second half. But I was impressed that that ended up being, I think a lot of what ETSU did and seemed like Brittany Azell just said, you're our horse. You're the best player on the floor, regardless of who we play, go show it and just unleashed her and, that caused this 41.10 rebound 7 steal performance where she really did do everything on each end of the court I was very impressed by kind of just changing and adjusting to the matchup against Tennessee looking at the different ways you can exploit what they do and Brittany Azell coming to the right conclusion that that was what needed to happen
0: I and Didn't try to overcome I mean you got a hot hand sometimes that just dictates right like, you go on a game plan, you don't do this, but guess what? Some Somebody's just having a night. You, you just, all right, boom, go. Go go, do your thing. And Overton's one of the few players um, you can just say, I mean, on the men's side it used to be Kevin Tigg. Sometimes you would just say, okay, we're going to roll the ball to you and everybody just get out of the way. Watch what happens. And I felt like that was sort of what happened at some point. It wasn't, you know, lack of anything other than just uh, coach and players recognizing she's having a day. Let's let's let her work, <laughs> and either get out of the way or set a screen if I need to. But other than that, let, let's see who we get the ball to and let it flow through Eric haynes Overton.
2: So the question to coach was: Have you ever seen a performance like that in a game that you've coached? Have you ever seen because you've been doing men's basketball for so long? Have you ever seen a performance either against the Bucks for the Bucks in a game that you've called like that from Erica haynes Overton, men, women, whatever?
0: Oof, I'd have to I'd have to go back. I've actually called a few triple doubles. Okay. So um, very complete. The, that, that, that's that, that would be the only thing. None of them, none of them to the tune of forty-one. Uh, I'll say that there was a thirty-point triple-double. Um, but again, none of them. I'm, I'm, I think most were in league play. Uh, I'm trying to wreck my brain. There was three of them. I think they're I think they were all in league play. Some become. It was not a power-five team.
2: Going back to last year, Patrick Good, his three-point performance, incredible was a bit one dimensional. Right. Say. Oh no, I agree. Still I, incredible I, I mean, I'm taking, away from you it, know, but.
0: Tim Smith's all five foot nine, um, playing against trees and and you know, he had the first uh, triple double in E teacher's history, then Courtney Pegram had a triple double and gosh it was nothing. but all guards, all similar type players. Uh I would say Timmy was unique in general because he was the fastest in all of college basketball. But Courtney Pegram had a similar style Game to Eric Overton liked to play defense, could come up with steals. Um, she's actually a hybrid between both, to be honest with you, mm. because she's speedy and probably has more steals like Tim Smith would have, and create and go to the other end of the floor and would get to the rim against the trees, six foot five, and figure out how to way to get a layup in and a foul. And Tim was brilliant at that at five foot nine, but then to have a, a sort of the the gutty grittiness, that emotional, the team would rally around. Just uh, That was more Courtney Pegram. He was a little better three-point shooter, so she's probably a good hybrid, not quite a good shooter as Pegram, uh, and but more uh, better at assists, better at certainly steals able to sort of command the game take it over as tim did she's kind of a nice hybrid between those free tsu fans but again they didn't drop 41 they they, you know they didn't drop 41 and and it wasn't against a a storied brand basketball program so off the cuff it'd be tough to find one that that was better honestly and you've been doing this like 18 million years. years. 18 years. Oh, That was a
3: million. You're never going to doubt the effort of our kids. We may be outmatched. We may be outsized. But you're never going to doubt this team's heart. ETSU tough means something to us. I thought our kids demonstrated that tonight with EHO leading the way. I, I, I've never coached a kid that had 41. Could have had more. And she's on the sideline throwing up during timeouts, and we're doing everything we can to get her fluids. And, I don't have the words for how proud I am of them in the first game. I almost feel like uh, Russell Crowe and Gladiator, Are you not entertained? What an entertaining basketball game. Great movie,
2: personally. Very good movie. It's a good reference. Uh, and she was very, I think, emphatic. Had a lot of conviction when she said ETSU tough means something to us. And you can see if you go to a practice of hers or if you go out and look game day, you know, she coaches tough. She can be hard on some of the young ladies, no doubt. But I think she does that in practice, and it's a lot like uh, – I, I, what comes to my mind is, remember the Titans. Denzel Washington, when he's talking about being a coach, I may be a mean cuss, but I'm the same mean cuss to everybody on that field. Because And Randy Sanders has said it before, too. He likes to throw adversity at players to see how they react in practice to know if he can trust them in the game. You're tough on someone as a coach because, A, you're – Probably sure that's not going to break them. You're probably toughest on the people that can handle it. But also, you're tough on them when the lights aren't on. So when the lights come on, you know if you can trust them or not. You know if they'll be able to handle it. And so she is going to be tough on the kids because she wants the best for, for them. She wants success for them. And I was certainly entertained. But ETSU, tough. Said it with such conviction,
0: which is why I thought that bites to that. Uh, that was a, a great bite. I think it does mean, I, I think we've branded that as a department the last couple of years, and people are buying into that right it was much easier just to deal with well it's just they're saying tough stuff, but now you're starting to see it feel that people are owning it that's the big thing do the players own it do the coaches instill it is it doing that and you know i i think that's the the biggest compliment to what's going on now is you're seeing that grit that got now you saw it you know um and again just because I deal obviously close to the men's basketball program, traveling with them. But Steve Forbes during that sixteen game win streak a few years ago, that was the thing. One of the questions was asked from one of the uh, a national writer to the player, um, "What's so different?" He said, "Well, our practices are so tough; it's just easy we get into games. Right? It's just easy, and I think that's that's what coaches sort of saying. Like we go after we get in that situation; so we're not overwhelmed." Right, we're not overwhelmed in this situation, and I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head. You, 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 you hammer home points on a people that can take it, but two people that you know can be special, and they need to be driven a little differently. Right? You've got to get, to, and I think Eric Gaines Overton, special talent, can get it. There's a couple things in her game. I think her freshman year was a little bullish on, didn't kind of want to listen and go, and now all of a sudden you're seeing all that hard work being coached, working in the weight room, all the things that go into that, now it's starting to sink in, the type of player that she could be on every night if she wants to be.
2: And I think she's starting to mature. That I too. I think early in her career, and even some last year, a foul would get called on her and you see her just kind of with an outburst toward an official. Or uh, running all the way down the court and being upset, and just outright looking like on her face, she could t- you could tell it affected her. And You don't love to see that because that's energy wasted, right? It's not going towards a positive thing. But last night, even when you saw – when she was having, quote, unquote, like those uh, flares of emotion, um, it was in the positive. It was towards players from Tennessee. It wasn't at officials. It wasn't over the top. It was just enough to walk a line and make it known for everyone in the building, including the University of Tennessee –
3: I think this effort means a lot, not just for this program, but for this region to let everybody know, guess what? There's some good basketball and it's not just in Knoxville. And little girls don't have to just dream about wearing orange. We look awful good up here in that blue and gold. And they also need to know that we got the best fans in America. Uh, You come up to Johnson City, you're going to find out how difficult it is to play. Tennessee may make it difficult now for me to schedule anybody else after they see that game, but by God, we're going to try because our fans deserve it, our players deserve it, and this program deserves it. We're going to keep giving it to them.
2: Great soundbite. And you can hear that entire interview on SoundCloud Buccaneer Sports Network. It is pinned to the top of the page at the moment, uh, and I thought the five or six minutes that we had with Coach was fantastic, and that soundbite in particular – I think that with an effort like that in front of a televised crowd in both Knoxville and the Tri-Cities on ESPN+, Plus, in front of 6,000 people, the reach of that game was huge. Uh, there were three or four, it seemed like three or four cameras doing live shots for different stations at Freedom Hall last night. There were cameras everywhere. So when you needed to have a big performance to really take a huge step as a program, you got it. You weren't able to pull off the victory. You were right there. But considering the amount of people you had going into the game, considering the amount of wins Tennessee has in their history, considering the lopsided games that these two teams have played in the past, specifically the three years prior to these last two, to go out and put up that kind of performance, it may not be a W in the record books, but it really feels like a W today. And I think it felt like that for the program last night.
0: I did. And it was a showcase. And like I said, the national love. You know, there was a lot going into this game because it was Kelly Harper's first or alma mater, right? She's certainly been a head coach, three different schools, been there, done at Power 5. But it's at Tennessee. Not not just is she an alum, it's all that, but there were national people paying attention. And one of the first tweets I saw when I finally kind of got home and thought, well, I wonder what kind of love we're getting, was Carolyn Peck. She's like, hey, congratulations to Kelly Harper on her first win. And, oh, by the way, in case you missed it, you need to pay attention to – Erica Haynes-Overton, who had 41, and I forgot she had something in all caps at the very end that was, like, insane or something. But, I mean, it was something that was, like, you know, keep your eye out on, on her. So, if nothing else, if nobody else is going to pay attention to ETSU before the game, there was enough national attention, like Carol Lawson said. So there were a lot of people that have uh, in a national spotlight that were able to tweet about the game and mention things about not just Eric overton but about the crowd, the atmosphere, and ETSU's effort. So it's a good branding day all the way around for the Bucs.
2: Yeah, and I'm looking forward here on the mentions for ETSU women's basketball. And quite honestly, it's buried at this point, unfortunately, because Carolyn Peck is a big name in the women's basketball scene, and I can't even find it because there's just too much, which is awesome, uh, because that means people are engaged and they appreciate oh, the Oh, it's, it's
0: impressive. That's what she had. So the exact tweet was congrats at Kelly Harper uh, and at the Lady Vols Hoop on the first win of the season. But keep an eye on Erica Haynes-Overton of at ETSU Women's Basketball. 41 points tonight, comma, all in caps, impressive exclamation point. Raising an eyebrow, if nothing else. Awesome night. So, All right, now we're going to talk football. We'll talk Daniel Hooker about the ETSU football game coming up on Wednesday. Crossover season continues after this time. your word from Sam's sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network.
1: Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty? Naughty and nice? Hot and cold? Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun it's quick cash with tennessee cash only from the tennessee lottery game changing fun please play responsibly
0: sandos and the sidekick back with you jay sandos mike gallagher daniel hooker on the phone as promised Our third segment of today's podcast as we look forward to Saturday's contest in Culloway, North Carolina. It is the Catamounts and your ETSU Buccaneers. And Daniel, boy, this has been a rough season, uh, to say the least, for both squads. And I think, I know Western Carolina may not have been picked uh, very high in the league, but they were actually, we do a a bold prediction segment um, on our podcast every week, and we do one for the year, and mine was... That Western Carolina, being an eight seed, would go on the run like ETSU did last year and contend for a Southern Conference championship. So, I thought highly of Western Carolina. Certainly, thought highly of ETSU. But yet, here are both these teams uh, struggling as the 2019 season starts to wind down.
1: Yeah, it's definitely gone anything but by script. I think for both squads, on what you anticipated, and and I think what we may have underestimated was the impact of some of the losses from a year ago. You guys had a lot of. Those hardcore fifth year seniors that have been there and played a lot of football that had moved on, and we had a lot of people especially along our offensive line, uh, some key people on the back end of our defense, and you know just just the losses from a year ago that you think oh well, okay those those guys were important. You don't realize how important they really were until you get into this year and see some of the struggles in some of the areas, but uh, definitely not by script uh, you know we've we've been without Tyree Adams a couple of games, I think uh, uh, to my estimation still the best football player in our conference top to bottom uh, for what he's able to do and how he's able to impact the game uh, in so many facets but you know a team suspension for a couple of games uh, for violating team rules being injured you know he goes out and throws a touchdown pass on the first play at Wofford on that same series suffers turf toe he's out the rest of the game and, and still trying to overcome that so uh, anything but by script but Again, what Coach Spears said, and I'm sure what Coach Sanders has said up there is, you know, let's go be the best November team that we can be. You know, we can't do anything about what happened in September and October, but let's go out and win what we can here in November and start to build. And I don't think anybody here has looked to 2020. You know, they're still trying to be the best 2019 team that we can be. And I think that's kind of the mindset you got to have going into it, especially with the way things have or have not gone for both squads this year.
0: Well, and I think uh, that leads to sort of answers maybe a question I was going to ask, which is Tyree Adams not running the ball as much, and and so maybe the turf toe does that. But certainly last game able to chunk it around against VMI, Daquan Patton uh, seems to be the go-to guy there. Talk about Adams with, I guess, not being able to run, as you've seen in the past, still able, though, to do it with his arm.
1: Well, it's one of those things that what he's doing now, it's less designed runs as we've seen in the past. I think last year up at your, your guys' place, a lot of designed runs for Tyree, but also at the same time he's very elusive and you got a very good defensive front. So it's one of those things that you know he didn't run nearly as much at VMI. He has at times. I mean, you talk about a guy right now that is uh, on the cusp of moving into the top ten in rushing in our career record books as a quarterback, and that, that says a lot considering the, the good running backs that we've had over the years and guys that that's their job is to go out and run the football. And now you got a quarterback who has that dual threat mentality that it's about to climb into those same record books with some of those same names. But uh, the the toe definitely has hampered him. But at the same time, he's really grown up as a quarterback and realizes if he stands in the pocket, if he's flushed out, makes plays with his arm, you know, he doesn't have to take a hit. He doesn't have to worry about getting a run over and and like we've always said, in this spread system, when you run your quarterback, you know, you're always one play away from having to, to turn around and find somebody else because uh, of the hits that he takes. And the, the goal going into this year was to try to minimize some of those to make sure he stayed on the field a little bit longer. But obviously, uh, you know, the turf toe injury, probably the most inappropriately named injury in all of, all of athletics is a turf toe because it doesn't sound like much. My goodness, is that thing painful when you talk about uh, everything you do on that Especially when it's the back, the throwing, uh, the back plant foot for throwing and, and trying to, to turn and torque and things of that sort. But, uh, you know, definitely looking for him. He's going to look to run, but, you know, hopefully every day a little bit better, a little bit better, finding a way to get tape jobs on that toe to, to make it where it's a little more comfortable for him. But uh, he's a competitor, and uh, so I, I would say. He's going to run whenever he sees the opportunity, but uh, you know, right now when you got a running back like Donovan Spencer, it goes for 137. You got a running back in Connell Young, it went for over 200 at Chattanooga this year. Uh, sometimes it's easier to turn and hand the ball off and let one of those guys take the punishment.
0: Yeah, it's, I, was, I was curious to see the result against VMI because, as you mentioned, trying to be the best, you know, sort of November team, not packing it in. I think you can tell when a, a team like Western Carolina, like ETSU, is struggling on a losing streak, how guys are going to come out and compete. You know, are they going to be able to fight? West Carolina traditionally has a very lopsided um, series against VMI, so that's a team traditionally West Carolina is not just beaten but dominated over the time. So I was curious to see that game and how they responded, and certainly they came out expecting to win that football game and then walked away with a big win.
1: Well, I'll tell you, Coach Walkenheim is my coach of the year in this conference this year. He has done a whale of a job. He does more with less. I really put – you know us and, and you guys and VMI. you know the teams that that are kind of behind the curve, I think, in some areas when it comes to to the athletic program, uh, especially with football. but um, you know, and he said he didn't think his team handled the off week well. They were coming off a of bye week, third time this year that we have faced the team coming off a of bye week, so you know that's an extra week of preparation, but you know he says he don't think his, his squad handled that well, and also going into a game for one of the few times that they were favored. and they were you know, fourteen point favorite going into that game over over us. Uh, with the way that Reese densky has been throwing the ball around. Alex Ramsey, I think, might be one of the best running backs in the league this year, uh, we, which goes without saying, considering he's at top of so many of the statistical categories. But, um, you know, I think we went up there with a great mindset, uh, confidence in the back pocket, and just playing for what's in front of us. And that's, you know, we on our nose bumper on our helmets have the the letters TNT, and it's, you know, so if you're standing in that huddle, and that stands for the next play the next possession, the next whatever. I mean, it, it's it, we can't do anything about what has happened. Move forward. That's been the mentality this team has taken, and like I said earlier, just trying to be the best November team we can be. We haven't traditionally finished strong in November. You go back to those three uh, those seven-win seasons that we had uh, under Coach Spear here, and it's one of those things that we did not finish those years. You know, we have Mercer here a couple of years ago. If we win that game, we're probably talking playoffs. And so it's something that this team has not experienced The playoff. This program, this university, hasn't been in the playoffs since 1983, a magical year here in Culloway. But just trying to find a way to get back into it. And, and none of these kids will know that. None of the guys on the team can, can realize how long it's been because it's well before they were even thought of. Uh, and so it, when you're trying to turn a culture, trying to change a program around like Coach Spear has been trying to do during his eight seasons here, it's just something that, you know, you got to go play, May, play the next play, play the next possession the next practice, everything. Uh, TNP has kind of been that mentality with this group this year.
2: Daniel, Mike, with you, just a couple trying to dig a level deeper on Western struggles this year. What is it about the second quarter? Outscored 152 to 37 in that second quarter this year by opponents, and you look at the other three quarters, and yeah, points here, points there, but nothing like the second. Can you put your finger on it?
1: Well, when you you talk about this team, football is the epitome of team game. We up till up until last week we had not put all three phases together for all four quarters to get one complete game. Offense had its moments, defense had had its moments, special teams had its moment. I mean, you don't see a punter take a fake punt 69 yards for a touchdown, and you get Pat McAfee talking about him on Twitter uh, with what Caleb Ferguson did a- against Chattanooga. You don't see stuff like that, and you don't you don't finish. You know, and you talk about that Chattanooga game. We were dynamic on offense, we were dynamic at special teams, but couldn't stop running water. So it's one of those things, you know, and I think what I'm getting at is you look at the point totals, our defense has been much maligned this year because of some of the points, some of the yardage, things of that sort. But it doesn't tell the whole story if you just look at the numbers because the offense wasn't performing. And if you're going three and out, or if you're you know, we were we've been a hurry up spread offense since Brad Glenn got here. You know, Brad Glenn left us to go to Georgia State. All he did and one of his first games as, as O.C. down at Georgia State was go into the, to Knoxville and knock off Tennessee uh, with Georgia State. So it's one of those things, the numbers don't tell the full story because if the offense isn't performing, your defense is right back out there. You know, in the past, we've been accustomed to seeing our defense play a lot of plays, but it's because our offense was scoring so quickly. One of the top scoring teams in the country a year ago, we were scoring a lot of points. We were scoring quickly, so our defense was right back out there. Well, this year we were going out there, and we were going three and out. You're seeing less than a minute come off the clock, and all of a sudden your defense is right back out there. So you give up a long drive and put them right back out there. But, you know, we've seen things, you know, and it really goes back to talk about NC State game. We go out in the first quarter, and it's a, you know, a one-possession ball game right there against NC State. We've outplayed the Wolfpack for the first 15 minutes of that ball game and then the second quarter. And I think that's where it's kind of started. Teams making adjustments. You, you know, we, we've seen – You know, right now, we're talking defensive line. We've got our starting nose position. We had four players coming into the season that were going to play that nose guard position. One and two, Adam Henderson went down. Our number two went down. Uh, All of a sudden, we're starting our three and four as the the top two on our depth chart. Torreon Stevenson, a redshirt freshman. Roman Johnson, a true freshman, are the guys having to fill in. So all of a sudden, the the attrition started to add up. uh, And I think that wears on a team when you start getting down in a depth chart second quarter plays into that. You know, you play the first quarter, you start making some subs, get some guys in there, could be part of it. Um, But obviously we just haven't put together four quarters. And I think that's the other side of it. You know, offense trying to to do what he needs to do to keep the defense off the field. So we've changed philosophy a little bit. You'll see us huddle a lot more. We've gone more methodical. You know, we're using all 40 seconds of a play clock, but at the same time, it's using that because our, our front line is young. You know, we have one returning real starter on that offensive line who's a junior. The rest of them are are redshirt sophomores and younger, uh, including a true freshman starting at center. So we've been very young uh, up front. Huddles have helped make sure the communication. I mean, like Coach Spear says, we can communicate from here to the moon with radio signals. We can't get a play call in correctly from the sideline to the middle of a field. So that's just trying to to slow things down. And um, so, again, long-winded answer to the second quarter is, Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a conglomeration of things that have come together, but it has definitely been – that second quarter has been decisive in so many ballgames this year.
2: Perhaps some of those injuries in the middle of the defensive line, the reason that Western's last in the league in rushing defense. But I looked at special teams. You alluded to it. You look at punting, 34 or 31.4 yards per punt, which is last in the league. Net on kickoffs, just 33.4 yards Per kickoff. Then on punt return, 6.6 yards per return, 18.1 yards per turn on kickoff. So 6.6 on punts, 18.1 on kickoffs. Those are both second to last in the league. All those statistics bottom two in the league. When you look at those special teams, what's led to some of those struggles? Because it seems like that can put both the offense and the defense behind the eight ball in terms of field position.
1: No, you're definitely right. Uh, you pointed out very, very obviously there that those numbers look really bad. But again, when you're young on offense, and you're young on defense in a lot of areas, you're going to be young on special teams. So we've got a lot of youngsters that have been playing. And our biggest problem is, is, is and I've, I've gone back and I've watched film with the coaches, and you watch practice and 11 guys running down their lanes on a kickoff. And you do it in practice and you see the film and you, you watch for every day in practice. We do the same practice drill on here's what we're looking at with this week's kickoff, boom, and they all do it. And then all of a sudden you get in the game and you get one or two guys that go rogue, and instead of running right down their lane where they're supposed to be, they veer off one way or the other, and it creates a gap, creates a hole, boom. There's a big play. Um, and it goes all the way back to the opener against Mercer. You know, we gave up a huge kickoff return to open that game. Mercer gets the easy score early in the game. You know, we've given up, you know, a couple punt returns for touchdowns. So uh, special teams has been a struggle, no doubt about it at times. You know, and then on the other side of it, you know, when you talk about other things in special teams, you know, we don't, we don't win last weekend without what we did in the kicking game with, you know, three field goals, 240-plus yarders. So that side of things has been, been coming along. But, um, you know, it's been a frustrating thing all year. Like I said, it goes back to playing all three phases. Yeah, you can go out and be lights out on offense. You can go out and be lights out on defense. But if you're giving up points and you're giving up a lot of yards in the special teams, you know, it puts your defense at an adverse position. I mean, VMI's average starting field position was probably about the 40-yard line you know going out so they're, they're talking about a short field all the time did a good job of reducing the number of yards a team can get so if you want to be the statistical nerds like we are and say hey you know what you didn't give up a lot of yards this week. well we didn't because we didn't give them a whole big field to work with um, you know so yeah special teams has been a struggle and it's an area we're trying to get cleaned up and we've been smarter about it recently I think a lot of those numbers big time in the beginning of the year really hurt us uh, but being smarter about things you know they're giving you on kickoff they're giving you the fair catch if you're inside the 20, go ahead and take it. Get the ball at 25. Don't take the punishment of getting the kickoff return. Yeah, you, you take away the opportunity to get that big play, but go ahead and set your offense up with good field positions. You know, take what they're giving you, and I think that's what we're learning to do. Uh, Caleb Ferguson, a guy from Waynesville, has moved back into that kickoff spot and has done a, has done a pretty good job there. But um, you know, Our biggest thing is putting playmakers on the field and finding a way to get them the football to let them go make plays, and I think that's what we're learning. That's what we're trying to get around to, We've got a, a, a lot of talent on this team. It's just a matter of learning how to play, learning how to win together. And confidence is huge. I mean, you guys saw that last year. You guys knew going into late ball games, no matter what was happening, you guys had the confidence that you're going to go out and finish the game. You're going to go get a win. You know that game against us last year, epic triple overtime game. You guys had the belief that you were going to win that football game. To a man on the sidelines. And you cannot put a price tag on that confidence level. I think BMI this year, most of their success, yeah, it's been because Ramsey's pretty good. It's been because uh, Udinski's really good. But they just had confidence in what they were doing and confidence that they can win football games. And I think you're starting to see that after last week, guys seeing hard work pay off into, into a victory. So we'll see how it translates this weekend. And this is rivalry matchup, the old Blue Ridge border battle coming up this Saturday.
0: 3.30 is the kick, 2 game, uh, 2 p.m. pregame coverage here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Daniel, appreciate the time. I look forward to seeing you over there, my friend.
1: Hey, like I said, I've said this many, many times. I'm so glad you guys came back into the league several years ago. We've, we've done it up right. Uh, love seeing you guys uh, from the from administration all the way down. Enjoy the rivalry we have. You know, this Blue Ridge uh, border battle, the, the close, the proximity of the two schools and you know, and two great fan bases. I mean, I can't say enough about what Buccaneer Nation, you guys had a heck of a ball game with Tennessee and the women's side. I know you had a great crowd for that. And looking forward to what basketball has in store for, for both teams. But like what you said, we lace it up this weekend, put the coat of leather, and see what we got uh, on the gridiron.
0: All right, sounds like a deal. I'll see you over there, my friend. That's Daniel Hooker, Western Carolina, breakdown for the Catamount to handle the play-by-play call on the ESPN platform when we come back bold prediction recaps from the weekend yes we had to wait because Mike Gallagher had a prediction about the Tennessee Woo! game and I don't want to bring it up he he might have been right all right we'll talk about that after this timeout from San Side kick on the Buccaneers Sports Network
2: ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders.
1: It's big boy football. The
2: Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandoz live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monsters. Everyone in the stadium
0: and across the NFL world
2: is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire.
3: Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There
2: is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just
1: not a good human.
0: Unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded.
1: Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England.
0: The great
2: Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances.
0: Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out if UCLA had paid his buyout he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee.
3: What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard.
0: A simple wrong would have done just fine. You are aware the AAF did close, right? I still feel like you're going through a draw there. February can't come soon enough. XFL, here you go. You're jumping on another one. Jumping oh, on another one. Oh,
2: the XFL's replaced the AAF? I had no idea. I don't
0: know. I don't know.
2: Uh, bold predictions, and I'm now three weeks in a row with a prediction correct. I'm starting to heat up, baby. I'm starting to heat up. Feel the heat, Sandoz. Last night, and this is why we waited till today to do a bold predictions recap. Usually do it on Monday. Predicted ETSU women's basketball would go 65-plus points. Hadn't done that in the previous four matchups, the only four matchups prior to last night that had come in like the last 25 years. So it had been almost three decades, over three decades, something along those lines since ETSU had scored 65 or more against the University of Tennessee. Last night, 68 points. We talked about it in segments one and two. Phenomenal performance. They only lose by four. The Bucks get 41 from Erica Haynes-Overton. May I bold predict that Erica Haynes-Overton will have 50-plus at some point this year? Wait and see. Bold predictions will come on Friday for this coming week. But, correct, and indeed, you are a genius.
0: I am the smartest
2: man alive! He is the smartest man in the universe. I love when the ETSU ones are right, because that means it's a double whammy. I'm right, plus it's good for ETSU, and obviously that means only one thing's good for you. So it's a triple whammy, actually. You get to hate your life, uh, I get to be happy, and ETSU gets to be happy. Three things. i have already tuned. You out Are you universe, still talking to me? I'm in still, this I'm universe, the always three things happening at the same time. I'm reading time. Chris Herndon up big. I can't euphoria. care less about oh, you right Chris Herndon. Oh boy, at <laughs> unstoppable offense of the Jets. Uh, ETSU nearly unstoppable last night on the
0: court against
2: uh, Tennessee. Uh, for you, your bold prediction was. Yeah. ETSU oh. ma- uh, football. Of course,
0: you start with my wrong one. Of course. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to start with your right one. I'm and, star- okay. I'm okay. starting
2: with football. I'm Scarvage. starting with football. Scarvage. I'm starting with basketball. I'm starting with ETSU predictions. That's what's going on
0: right now. That's not sliding you at all. Sliding. Plus. Plus two It was turnovers
2: In the turnover battle what It was, was negative, one. negative one Negative one Okay It was the so
0: one interception Up right for was
2: Three turnovers In the turnover margin off Were you Jay Sandilas Three
0: <sighs> Been off all year That's You nice have been yet. off
2: all year uh, Let's go to another prediction That you were off on I actually Don't remember what the final score Was of this game I think you made it Interesting oh, uh, Yeah Yeah
0: but it did uh, it,
2: was a, it was a total point right?
0: 63 chat or more Chat decided not to score In the second In the fourth quarter I think it was
2: Ooh, They had 55. a good third quarter. Yeah, they had, both
0: teams had a good third quarter. So at halftime, it was 14-12. And if I'm not mistaken, both teams scored uh, in the third quarter. And I think Chet did not score in the fourth, right? Is that right? Chat
2: didn't score in the third. Only scored eight in the fourth.
0: Oh, it was the opposite. So third quarter, killed. Eh, one quarter killed me. At 18 in fourth, I needed like 18 and 18. That was good. Furman, 35. Chattanooga 20.
1: Yeah. You stubborn, stupid, silly man. You stubborn. Stubborn, stupid, silly man Stubborn, stupid, silly man I, Stubborn, stupid, silly man.
2: I didn't uh, stop you, so I'm going to go ahead and just get yours out of the way Because I actually haven't looked up if mine was correct or not For the Southern Conference I'm going to do it while you're talking about How brilliant you are for a prediction that I Boom. really should have made I really should have made it Why I didn't Week. I've been hammering Week. home this point Week. The entire season In an AP You let it slide segment. baby The FCS top 25 segment We usually do in this let time Let it slide Monmouth over Kennesaw Monmouth. State Monmouth Huge Monmouth over Kennesaw State It wasn't Big. close Big I think it was 31-7 at that time 14 and a half 20. point
0: underdogs Was it 45-21? Yes Two touches They were catching I went straight up dub And he won by 30 Boom you got anything else to Boom. say about that? I no, I don't. I want to see your weird Clemson yeah. thing They're you a did. Genius! Yeah. A genius! up in fourteen. Okay. I can tell you that. Uh, Does that well, help? Let's, uh, what was your prediction? You know,
2: it was zero sacks allowed for Wofford. Do you know if there's? oh no, no? I do not why know, know. Why don't you look up? Why don't you do some work on the
0: show? For I don't. My God! No, I mean, let me no. talk about how wrong I was about Pat. First of all, first of all, I'm talent. You should be looking it up. Go ahead. Aren't people that are on here talent? Now you're still kind of producer role. You're still. Whatever.
2: No, Matt he thinks one of us is talented. I
0: can tell you that. Uh, (laughs) Patrick
2: Mahomes, 300-plus yards, and he would play against ESPN. Against ESPN? Against the Minnesota Vikings. (laughs) Playing against ESPN. I was about to go to ESPN to look up the stats. My mind is not working correctly. Uh, I was waiting for Patrick Mahomes to be ruled out like an hour after I made this bold prediction, and it didn't happen. He was a game-time decision against the Vikings. I said he'd play and throw for 300-plus yards, but... The premature comeback for Patrick Mahomes after it was initially ruled he'd be out three to six weeks Never happened, unfortunately for me Never happened, he never did make an appearance So not only did, was I wrong, I was kind of wrong in two facets He didn't play, and he also, by not playing, obviously, can't throw for 300 plus yards Can I make the same bowl prediction this week? Probably not, because this will be three games I think he will have missed or he
0: could be coming back in the third game. He know. was he it would have been, been was on bold the, last week. He was on the practice field uh, right. the last couple of days leading up, so I don't think he'd be as bold this week.
2: He was on the precipice, shall we say. The precipice mm-hmm. of making mm-hmm. an appearance and probably tearing the Vikings apart, mm-hmm. as it worked out anyway for the Chiefs. Good that and he didn't play. Clemson had nine
0: sacks. So nine, nine sacks? No, they had none. Oh! I am so brilliant. So sure what with nine longer let you stew on that for a second? I
2: am going to out myself on this bold prediction just a little bit. Uh, and I'll see now, because you didn't call me out on it. It's still going to be right regardless, because it's already done. It's already made. It's already correct. But Wofford had only allowed one sack the entire year. But the fact that they were playing up against Clemson, that still is a bold prediction, correct?
0: Uh, yeah. I think. I mean.
2: So I went two or three. Yeah, think, think about that. Oh man! He
1: is the smartest man oh, in the universe. I seriously? am the smartest man alive. I, I, I am the smartest man alive. Tell me, Adam Sandler. I am the smartest man alive. I'm smartest man Madison.
2: Two of three this week. I have six correct. You have three correct doubling you up still as we go along I, I remember
0: this being similar last year and then so you got lucky and then, in the
2: postseason and then and five point bullpen oh, hey you know, know what
0: yeah. this is
2: looking bad for you even more because you know who's number five in the playoff poll this week Clemson who I said would not make the playoffs that has
0: zero because fifth. you do know that uh, both teams
2: make the playoffs they're fifth four and five doesn't
0: matter six predictions matter. correct Four, Doesn't matter. Four and Doesn't five.
2: One spot out on of the One and, one and the two, tomorrow. three and
0: four play, right? One and four play, two and three play.
2: Yeah, and what's punch right now? Fifth left out.
0: Woo! What do we got uh, Friday? I don't
2: even know. I'm just going to keep doing bold more, predictions bold predictions. Yes, more bold predictions. That's it. More bold predictions. bold predictions.
0: That's great for me. All right, Santa's sidekick. Bucceteers. Buccaneers. Bugger
1: Sports, that way.
0: sports that way. Bold predictions.
1: See ya.